Wait till they get a load of me. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. It's for fun. I'm gonna make him an offer again with you. Come with me if you want to live. Awesome! I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Come on! That's for risking my grandson's life. You do that again and I'll break every bone in your body. Good morning, Camp C. Happy Father's Day. We're gonna come and worship this morning. And one thing I want you to think about, this song is about miracles. Maybe some of you came in today needing a miracle. Now's your chance to communicate, to pray with God, to ask for that this morning. Would you stand with me?
All right, church, you got to help me out. Who's going to Fryathon today? All right, you guys got to help me out. Sing this out. Yeah. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide this weary soul. This vagabond. And I've tried with all my might. But I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting. A vagabond.
Yes, God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you praise. We lift up your name. We glorify you for who you are.
Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let's sing and declare his faithfulness this morning.
You know, I mean, we're not a boys club or a social club. We're just a group of husbands collectively waiting for our wives um, in the Target parking lot. Hours and hours of waiting in the car. I thought it'd be a good idea one time to go in with the wife. Thought I could maybe scout out some camping gear or something like that. Just ended up holding their purse. I'm sitting in the car, it's been 63 minutes, I'm furious, and then there's this knock on the window. Hey, got some new jerky. You want you want to try some? You know, it didn't happen all at once. Honestly, I don't remember how it started. Pen came along, and then this Miles guy started parking closer to us, and then eventually, like, the group was just formed. What do we do here? Well, uh, we toss the ball around, play some cards, you know, a little gambling. Uh, we have supper if it gets late enough. When Miles brought his grill, <laughs> it changed everything. So we got your standard grill set up that everyone has. We got the coffee over here. We got the beans about to go there. Brats on the grill. It's lunchtime. One summer we did a series of car washes and we actually raised enough money to put a big screen in the back of Penn's van. That was a good summer. I clip coupons for her now so we can head to Target and I can hang out with the guys and she can do her thing, uh, whatever she does in there. Taylor, we gotta go. Yeah. We gotta go. Oh, come on, babe. Five more minutes? No, we gotta go right just, now. Just, just five. five. more minutes. You guys have been in here all day. I know it sounds crazy, but I look forward to those throw pillows going on sale now. Get to see my boys. See another guy waiting for his wife, you know, just offer him some beef jerky. Let him know you're down to hang. Your best friend may be just two cars away. I mean, we have so much in common. We all have wives, and they're all in there somewhere. All right, good morning. Was that fun or what? Uh, listen, if you are a male today, we have beef jerky for you. So when you leave today, go to the, uh, go to the uh, hospitality table. This is not your regular kind of beef jerky. It's like thicker, you know, Midwest smokehouse style beef jerky. So not the kind of lame stuff you buy at the store. The legit stuff. And it has even a KMCC sticker on it. So uh, can you get a close-up? Let's see if they can get a close-up. There you go, Victor. There you go. I'll stay still. Look at that. So um, if you are a female, sucks to be you. You don't get any. Uh, <laughs> we didn't get any tea and crumpets on Mother's Day, and so you don't get to have any beef jerky on Father's Day. That's how that works around here. So make sure you get that. We got the Friathon crowd in the room with us today. They're about to be leaving on a bus in a second. I can't say it's been like the last month of my life. All my son talks about is this battle tubing thing and how there's nobody in the world who can beat him at battle tubing. Nobody can beat him. Not even the staff can beat him. And uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe you have to see this week what happens. But hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you're online with us, we're so glad you're with us today. If you're out in the patio, welcome in the building. Uh, we are glad that you're with us as well. Happy Father's Day to all. We try to have some fun with some videos. We got some uh, beef jerky a little later. Uh, and we're diving into our series. We're almost done with 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 15 together, and there's only 16 chapters. So after a year of being in 1 Corinthians, we're kind of landing the plane towards the end 
end, and we're going to dive into that again today, uh, kind of full steam. I hope you're ready for that. You ready for that? Yeah. Are you ready for that? There, there you go. Okay, very good. All right, so I want to start this way and just say, you know, you've seen that TV show maybe years ago called uh, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Ever seen that TV show? You know, kids, you know, we try to spoof off that a little bit during Mother's Day. And we try to get, you know, got your kids, we videotape them and try to see what they would say. And they did say the darndest things. It was fun. It's pretty funny. You should watch that online if you didn't, weren't a part of that. But not only do kids say the darndest things, sometimes they have the darndest questions. They have the weirdest questions in the world. I don't know if you're in that stage right now where, you know, your kid is kind of like a top toddler, three, four, five years old, and they're asking questions that maybe you well enough could answer, but they wouldn't be able to understand your answer. So if you answer the question, they're not going to understand it in their little three, four, five-year-old mind. So you're trying to think, how do I answer this question that I can't answer, but if I do answer, they're not going to understand the answer. But they ask, they ask these crazy questions that are almost impossible to answer, like, like why does the rain come down instead of going up? And you think to yourself, oh, that's because of gravity. But as soon as you say gravity, they're going to go, what's gravity? And you're going to have to explain gravity. And so you're going on Google going, how do I explain gravity to a child? You, you know, uh, these questions come out. How do you explain gravity to a three-year-old child? It's impossible to do. Uh, why is water wet? And why is salt salty? I don't know how I would answer that. Remember, three, four, five-year-old child. How does the internet work? I don't even know how the internet works. Uh, why is the sky blue? Why is blood red? Uh, I, well, I tell you, it's definitely, blood is definitely red. It's not green. And the sky is blue. I used to think it's because of a reflection off the ocean, but I think apparently that's not true. I don't even know the answer to that. Uh, you know, when they get a little older, you can go, like, Google it. Or, or go ask your science teacher, you know. But when they're three, four, five years old, why doesn't the sky fall down? And what keeps the clouds staying in the air. I don't know. And then there's the age old, the hardest one ever. Where do babies come from? Yeah, try answering that. To, that's why we got the stork, right? The stork, and he drops off the child. And, and then your kid's going, how come I never see these storks? And there's millions of children, but I don't ever see the stork. Where is the stork? God, can you please help me see the stork? You know, yeah. And, and as they get older, the questions get a little harder, right? They get, they get a little harder as they get older. Um, like, why is it that anybody can't tell me whether infinity is an odd or an even number? That is a really smart child. Can answer. Is infinity an odd or an even number? If your child ever asks you a question, like, like get them, like, check them out for, like, geniusness, right? I mean, you know, they're going from that uh, concrete world to the abstract world, and asking questions like that is just crazy smart to be asking that question. And, and they get, you know, it's Father's Day, and so uh, why do parents get mad at kids when they lie, but dad constantly tells the waitress that I'm under 11 years old to get a discount? Like, I've been under 11 years old for like four years now. When is that going to change? When do I graduate, right? <laughs> why is it important for us to follow all the traffic laws except for the ones about jaywalking when your dad is present? Uh, just shut up and walk across the street, Audrey. Be quiet. You know, you know, it's Father's Day. Don't ask me these questions. <laughs> you know, it's the type of thing, right? <laughs> I mention this because our passage today is going to come across a little bit like these questions that are unanswerable. It's going to come across like a child going from childhood to, to adulthood in that adolescent period, that, that place in their minds where it goes from the concrete world to the abstract world, and they're beginning to think and branch out for the first time. And the questions that we ask in our text today are going to kind of come like that. They're the kind of questions that everybody thinks but nobody asks. Like everybody thinks this, but we're too mature to ask that. I mean, I wouldn't say that out loud. And, and that's kind of what our passage deals with today. And so we will see 
We'll pull back the restraints and ask obvious, difficult questions. Like this whole concept of the resurrection, is it even possible in the first place? And if one were to assume that it is possible, how is it possible? Doesn't it like cross the bounds of what is physically possible? Doesn't it like cross the bounds of what is spiritually possible? The material world crossing over into the spiritual world. How is that even possible to begin with? For that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49. If you have your Bibles, I challenge you to open up right now. Take your phones and open it up right now. Get there with us. Make sure that everything that we're saying is true of what the Word of God says. We only intend to bring the truth out of the Word, not try to bring you some other truth besides the Word. So dive in it with us. And we'll be continuing in chapter 15 where Paul has been defending, like, like aggressively defending the resurrection. And he's been doing it for, it's like 58 verses in chapter 15. Over and over and over again, he's defending the resurrection. Apparently it was a real issue in Corinth. Like they, they had bought into this whole Jesus thing, hook, line, and sinker. But that whole part where he rises from the dead, I don't know about all that. And then we're supposed to be resurrected. I don't know, man. Is that take it or leave it? And he's defending this over and over in multiple verses. He's defended historically. He's defended it logically. He's, he's defended it theologically. He's defended it practically. And he's going to keep on going again today in this defense of the resurrection. The overarching question you'll see on the screen is what questions come to mind when considering the possibility of resurrection? What, what questions instantly come to your mind when you think about something that was dead being raised again to new life? Like, what questions come into my mind that maybe I wouldn't say out loud, but internally I'm thinking as I'm considering the possibility of resurrection? The first one is this. Is the resurrection even physically possible? Like, how does it actually happen? Like, physically, how does something that's dead come back to life again? How is resurrection even possible to begin with? For that, we're going to be in verses 35 through 44. Is the resurrection even physically possible? If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. It says this, but some will ask, how are people raised? How are dead? How are the dead raised? Is it even physically possible? What kind of body do they, do they, do they come? With what kind of body do they come? How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Is this even physically possible is the question. You foolish person, what, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies even, and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in honor. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and is raised in a spiritual body. We'll stop there. What questions come to mind when considering the possibility of a resurrection? 
First one is, is this even physically possible in the first place? Is this even possible, this whole idea, Paul, that something dead comes back to life? How is that even possible to begin? You got to understand, it's almost sarcastic in nature, a sarcastic tone. It's like a question that's not really intended to be like a legitimate question. So this can't really happen, can it? I mean, come on. This is no way this actually happens. For us in our day, it might be a little different. We might struggle with, and as we have in modern history, how does God resurrect something that's been cremated? Have you ever heard of this? So if I get cremated when I die, how how is God going to resurrect me into new life? Because I've been cremated. And then if they spread my ashes, let's say, in the ocean, like how is God going to resurrect me since I've been spread in the ocean? Like it's gone parts of me in Japan, parts of me in Alaska. You know, how, how does this actually happen, right? And so this is kind of the contention. This is impossible, It's physically impossible, so therefore God can't do it. But by the way, if you die and you are uh, buried in the ground, your body still decays, your your molecules are still going into the earth and being, you know, fertilizer for another living thing like a plant. So parts of you already, so the problem isn't just with cremation, the problem is also just with being dead. Your body deteriorates, disappears. How does God resurrect something that's disappeared? Whether parts of me are in Alaska, parts of me are are, are in Japan, can the God of the universe resurrect me? And he replies, this kind of flips it on its head. He goes, you are the fools. You're asking this question like, like I'm foolish for being suggesting that God would raise something from the dead, but you're the fools. You're actually the fools because you failed to account for God. Like God who created everything you see in this earth. All the trees, the sky, the air, the, the water works. We're not too far from the sun, but we're not close enough that we freeze. We're, we're, not, we're not close enough that we burn. We're not far away enough to where we freeze. Uh, he's created everything together. You do realize that that's the God who's created everything you see out of nothing. If you put nothing on my hand for two million years, I can guarantee you that after two million years, there'll still be nothing there. All right? But God can take and blow into nothingness and make somethingness. God goes out of his way. He creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. His very vocal cords, his very breath creates. That's the God who can raise or resurrect the dead to life. So you fail to account for God who created everything you see. You know, I often say uh, for the skeptics out there, if you put nothing on my hand for 2 million years, 20 million years, it's going to be nothing. At the very least, if you have a big bang, okay, I, I respect that we're getting closer there because something had to start the whole thing rolling, right? The God of the Bible says, I created everything out of nothing. It's actually harder for me to believe that we are here and we exist and we live based on chance than there is for me to believe that there was a God out there who started the whole thing. That's actually easier for me to believe. And understand. Here he says, you fail to account for the God of the universe who created everything you see. Of course he can do it. And then he kind of starts describing exactly what he means on how this is possible, how this is going to happen. He first starts with the glorious transformation of a seed. We'll go back to verse 36. Let's see if we can get it back, back on the screen. Verse 36, we'll say it together. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. It's a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or some of the grain. But God gives it a body he has chosen, and to each seed, its own body. Not all flesh is the same. There's some kinds for humans, others for animals, others for birds, and another for fish. 
We'll stop right there because I want to give you an illustration of, of how this works. Let's start with the seed. We take a seed, we put it in the ground, um, it dies to itself, and it comes forth differently. It's a really interesting illustration because it, it's an illustration that shows continuity and yet discontinuity at the same time. Uh, we know that the plant comes from the seed, but what the plant becomes doesn't look like the seed. The seed transforms from a seed form to a plant form. And, and, and we know patterns. Like we know when I plant this seed in the ground, I get tomatoes. When I plant this seed in the ground, I get cucumbers. When I plant, and we, so on and so forth, we just know this seed is that, this seed is that. But who, who's the one who decided all that? That was God. Like God decided all that. This seed's going to be this, this seed's going to be that. He's the one who does this transformation process. So when you take the seed, put it in the ground, it grows up into something different. There's continuity and yet discontinuity. Almost like a, a caterpillar butterfly. You know what I mean? Uh, the caterpillar looks nothing like the butterfly, but we know they're connected because it goes in the cocoon in the third grade. We put them in a shoebox, and all of a sudden there was a butterfly later, right? And you're like, I know they're connected, but I'm not sure how. How, how did that whole thing happen, that whole transformation process? It's God the one, who, the one who decides what happens. He's the one who knows the transformation process. He is the one who authors that. He dictates that. In the same way, it's God who gave us all different bodies. He gave some type of material flesh to human beings. He gave a different kind to animals. He gave a different kind to birds and a different kind to fish. Have you ever touched the fish? They're very slick. It's different. He's the one who gave us our different material shells. Like we have different material shells. God's the one who authored all that. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one involved in that transformation process. It's all his doing is the idea. And then he cross-references this idea of splendor of stars. We'll go to verse 40. There are heavenly bodies too. That would be like the, the atmosphere of the universe. Uh, planets and earthly bodies but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earth is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for the stars, for star differs from star. What he's saying here is that he's given the shell to the planets as well, and he's given them their glory. Uh, just like an animal has its glory, its, its shell, uh, a human being has its glory, its shell, its body, so do the planets have their glory. Now, the interesting thing here is the word for glory in the original language is doxa. Usually, when we find the word doxa, we just, we translate it glory, but it has some secondary meanings as well that you can translate. For instance, some of those meanings would be um, uh, uh, glory, splendor, brightness, brilliance, and there seems to be a little bit of a play on words here. God creates the planets and the stars, and some of them are brighter than others, and some of them have a greater brilliance than others. Some have a greater glory than others, and God's the one who decided that. We know today that one star is brighter than another star because of the amount of heat that it generates. And so God's the one who decided how hot this star would be versus this star versus this planet. And, and he's the one who creates these stars in their bodies, their shells, and gives them the glory that they have. In every context, human, animal, bird, fish, plant world, planet world, God is in charge of the shell. He's the one who grants it glory, splendor, its brilliance, its brightness. No one else. That's the whole point. He's the one who does it. And so when it comes to the resurrection, we see some particular things. Let's go back to verse 42. It says, so it is with the resurrection, just like that, so it is, an analogy to the resurrection. What is sown perishable, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised in a spiritual body. So, so it is, just like that. Just like God does the transformation process from seed to plant, just like God is the one who authored everybody's shell, even the planets, and given them their glory, so it is with the resurrection. He's the one who authors that transformation process. He's the one who's in charge of the glory of that shell that comes afterwards in the glorified body, in the resurrected body. And he says some amazing thing happens when this transformation happens. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What does that mean? What is sown in a deteriorated state, what is sown in a corrupted state, what is sown in decay is raised imperishable, not subject to corruption, not subject to deterioration, not subject in decay. When he says sown, he's just talking about putting a seed in the ground and then sowing it into the ground. That's what that means. The body which was sown perishable, it's, it's deteriorating, it's, it's corrupt, it's decaying, is going to be raised in incorruptible, undeteriorated state, undecayable state. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised to glory. Uh, so this would be really, really hard for the First Corinthian church and those in there to, to really grasp. Because remember, they don't view themselves as being dishonorable. They view themselves as being gloried. They're self-professed high-status people, if you remember. They're high-status people in society. They want to be high-status people in their religion. They're even contemplating whether or not they pass Paul up, and they're living in the eternal state, and Paul's dealt with that already in 1 Corinthians. And so this is really difficult for them. No, you think that you're living in glory. You're in a dishonored state right now within your shell and your body. You're in a dishonored place. You'll be raised to glory one day. What is sown in weakness will be raised up in power. We are weak. We are fragile. We are susceptible to disease and even death. One day we'll be raised up in power. What is sown in a natural body is raised up in a spiritual body. I hate, I hate to break it to you. However much you might love your body today, however much you've worked on your body today, it ain't nothing in comparison to what you're going to get one day. I mean, you might be really impressed with yourself walking out and looking at me. I'm just telling you, it's nothing in comparison to what you will one day experience. I mean, just look at Jesus. Jesus walked on earth, uh, lived a physical, earthly life, and then he was raised from the dead, and all of a sudden he could walk through walls. He could be at any place he wanted to at any time. He still ate and drank, but he, all the, the laws of natural laws didn't apply to him anymore. He was recognizable, but not recognizable, that kind of whole thing. I used to, uh, I've made a joke before that, that, you know, you have a good-looking Colombian pastor. I am Colombian, um, and, and the reason that's funny is I don't really, I'm not, I don't walk in going, oh, look, look, you know, I'm so good-looking. I really don't believe that, you know, I'm not, and that's why it's supposed to be funny, because he's really not that into himself. But I can see somebody going, man, that pastor's really into himself. I'm not, I'm not, that's what makes it funny. Anyway, I'm not going to convince you. And so, <laughs> anyway, I would tell you today, that uh, as much as that's funny, there's one day when I'm resurrected where you will see a very, very good-looking look, Colombian who's resurrected. And the church said, <laughs> when I planned that, that was going to be funny whether you said amen or you didn't say amen. <laughs> that's just my own brain. Anyway, I, I, so I, I, the whole simple idea here is God can do what he wants to do. And if he says he's going to raise the dead into life, then he's going to do it. He's the one who provides the shell in the physical life. He provides the shell in the spiritual life. He's the one who takes a seed and turns it into a plant. He can transform things. 
Uh, what if I get cremated? What if I don't? Don't worry about it. God can do it. He's God. He, he speaks things into existence. He can do what he wants. He transforms seeds into beautiful, glorious plants at his pleasure. Human beings, animals, birds, fish, all have differing shells and material at his good pleasure. The stars and planets have different splendor and brilliance and brightness at his good pleasure. He's God. He could do what he wants to do. So when you ask the question, is it even physically possible? Of course it's possible. He's God. You guys are asking me the question like, like, I, like, I, like the insinuation of such a thing would be crazy. You're crazy for not believing that he could. What you see on this earth was all created by the vibration in his vocal cords and breathing air, breathing life into air or nothingness. Yes, it's possible. Well, what questions come to mind when considering the possibility of resurrection? Number one, is the resurrection even physically possible? Number two, is the resurrection even spiritually possible? Like, how is this possible spiritually speaking? Isn't there a theological issue with a uh, uh, condemned, decaying, corrupt humanness going into the afterlife where there's perfectness? And you might think this is a very simple answer, but it's actually more complicated than you might imagine. I hope you'll stick with me as we go through it. Is the resurrection even spiritually possible? How is the resurrection spiritually possible? We'll start at verse 44 and go to 49 together. It says this. If there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, came, came, became a living being. The last Adam, which would be Christ, became a, living, a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but then the natural, then the spiritual and the first man was from the earth, and he's a man of dust. The second man was from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the man of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall what? Also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's stop there. How is the resurrection even spiritually possible. Now, there, there is this first man, last man kind of illusion, first Adam, last Adam kind of a, 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 of a parallel here. Just like the first Adam, so is the last Adam. Just like the first man, so is the last man. And this is an Adam, a, a juxtaposition between Adam and Jesus Christ. All right? And, and there's some theological things going on here. This is not a crazy having. This is also in uh, Romans chapter 5. You want to write this down and, and read that this week and look at verses 15 through 19. There is this parallel between Adam and Jesus Christ. It's very important theologically. And we're going to kind of dive into it a little bit. In Romans chapter 5, we see that just as ma many died through one man's trespass, so many will live through one man's uh, uh, act of grace. Just as one man's disobedience uh, brought sin to everyone, so one man's act of obedience will bring salvation or righteousness to many. That's in Romans chapter 5. There's a, there's a juxtaposition between Adam and Jesus Christ, like the first, like the last, like the first man, like the last man. And the idea here is that you got your ability, your physical life from the first man, Adam, and you get your spiritual life from the second man, Jesus. You get your, your, your physical being, you got it from the first Adam, and your spiritual being or birth or ability to, to believe from the second uh, Adam, Jesus Christ. That's gone. One is from the earth, one is from heaven, uh, one is of dust, one is of a heavenly source, one is of a source of earth is the idea. Now, 
You can't miss in this. There's a couple of things happening that are actually pretty profound. Uh, uh, one is, we talked about this last week, that the Stoic Epicurean philosophers of the day, the Gnostic philosophers of the day, had this belief that matter was evil. You remember this? My skin, because it's material, is evil. It's bad. It's, it, it, it's corrupt. And so this is why resurrection was a non-starter for them. What do you mean this goes with us? It's evil. It's wrong. Only the spiritual parts of us are spiritual. So our spiritual selves will go to heaven, but our physical selves won't go there. And there's a non-starter. Paul, are you really saying we're going to resurrect from the dead? This is evil, is the idea. Now that would be what the, the culture of the day believes. But interestingly enough, theologically there's a problem too, and I think we skip past this too fast. Theologically, there's a problem with this too, because we believe theologically that everything on earth was corrupted by Adam's sin. Adam sins in the garden. Uh, he brings sin onto the world. There's a sin nature. Every one of us receives it. It's hereditary. It's part of us. You can look at a two-year-old and tell that I didn't teach them how to do wrong, but they know how to do wrong. How do they know how to do it? It's in their nature. It's in their nature because they have a sin nature because we all got it from Adam. And so we have this corruptedness, not only to us, but to this world. In Colossians chapter 1, it says God's restoring all things to himself. Not just all people, but all things. This world has to be restored to himself. That's why there'll be a new heavens and a new earth in, 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 the, new, in the new world, or in, in the heavenly realms. That's why it all has to be restored. And so there is a problem both the culture of the day believes that matter is evil. Theologically, we know that everything has been corrupted by Adam's sin. So this idea of how is resurrection even possible, how can God allow us to go in any physical way to heaven, even if it's along with a resurrected body, if we come marred or corrupt or, or tainted by sin? It's actually a significant problem. All of us are condemnable in Adam. Uh, this is true of, of, of Psalm chapter 51. Uh, David says, I was conceived in sin. I already, even at my point of conception, I was already had sin a part of me. We're all condemnable. Uh, what that means is this. One day when you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? Why should I not let you in? Uh, well, the first thing on your list of things that you did wrong was Adam's sin in the garden. And you might go, well, that's not fair. How can he condemn me based on some other man's sin? How can he not let me in? One of the things held against me is what Adam did in the garden. I wasn't even there. I mean, I guess I was there, but I wasn't there. I mean, how, how does he actually do that? That doesn't seem fair. Okay, well, let's log that one over here. That's the first Adam. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes and dies on the cross. And what happens on the cross for those of us who believe? We get credit for a work and a righteousness that's not ours. He takes our sin on the cross. He gives us his righteousness. In a sense, wait a second, that's not fair. He gives me credit for a work that I didn't do. You see, we like it when it comes to Jesus Christ. We don't like it when it comes to Adam. And yet you can't cherry pick because like the first Adam, there's a second Adam, Romans chapter 5. You can't cherry pick on those things. So wait a second, we have the problem at our very birth. We have a problem. We are condemnable for God at our very birth. So how can God allow us into the eternal state if you have this kind of problem? Well, he tells us. There's a man of dust, there's a man of heaven. You are represented by the man of dust, or you can be represented by the man of heaven. And the last verse, he says, we're actually represented by both. 
I'll look at it one more time. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of man, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's what happens. Because I was born into this world, I, I'm represented by Adam and what he did in the garden. All right? And, and, and when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm represented by Jesus Christ as well. And that becomes the biggest issue. Like, if, when you follow up to Jesus spiritually, he becomes your representation. You need that representation because if you don't have that, then it isn't possible for you to be spiritually resurrected to new life. The big idea today is that in the court of God, it all comes down to having the right representation. Who represent you? Is it just Adam? If all you have is your humanness, you're going to stand before God condemnable. If you have Adam and Jesus Christ, you're going to stand before God with new representation that allows you to be resurrected from the dead. Let me see if I can bring this home in a way that will be a little bit more understandable. Everyone knows if you are a baseball fan, sorry, Dodger fans, it was a disappointing week last week. Um, I didn't, it's not in my notes, but I thought we'd take five minutes and just discuss it together. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> i got to get my licks in now because who knows what will happen by the end of the season. Uh, anyway, if you're a baseball fan, everybody knows that if you are a baseball fan and, and, you're, and your player signs with Scott Boris, oh man, you got problems. Uh, because if he's a representation uh, of your player, then that means your team's got to pay a lot of money to keep him. Uh, if you want to make a lot of money in baseball, you sign with so- Scott Boris and his company, uh, Boris uh, Corporation, out of Newport Beach, California. He represents one, some 175 baseball players over the years. He charges a 5% commission. Now, you can imagine when you're uh, negotiating contracts that are in excess of $100 million, sometimes $200 million, sometimes $300 million, and you get 5% of that. You're doing all right. His net worth, according, depending on which uh, agency you use in their estimates, is somewhere in the range of $450 to $600 million. Scott Boris. Uh, his yearly royalties alone would make him one of the highest paid baseball players in all MLB. I mean, that, just from his royalties, from the, what he gets from the players for negotiating their contracts. I didn't all start that way. Uh, he was, uh, actually wanted to be a baseball player growing up. He grew up in Gro- Elk Grove, uh, which is just outside of uh, Sacramento. Uh, and he went to the University of Pacific. Um, walked on to their baseball team there. And uh, to be honest, he was actually a pretty good baseball team. Uh, uh, up until 2009, he was still a top 10 in multiple offensive categories of the school's history. He was good. Spent four years in the uh, minor league system for pre- professional baseball, uh, got a knee injury, and that short-lived his career. Then he went to law school and decided to start representing baseball players and to the, really the bane of the existence of the owners of the sport because since he's come, he's, ch- he's just changed the world as it relates to the price and the, uh, the cost of having great players on your team. He got top dollar for each of his uh, players by advocating certain things. He would encourage his uh, players to resist negotiations and instead go to the agreed-upon arbitration. Don't negotiate. Let's go to the arbitrator. Let me argue for you in front of the arbitrator. I'm a good lawyer. I'll get you the money you want. And so they wouldn't negotiate with their teams, and they'd go to arbitration. Sure enough, he was a good enough lawyer where he could argue his way into better contracts for his players. He would encourage his players to take the risk of, uh, of playing out their contracts rather, uh, and waiting for free agency rather than signing at like a hometown discount. Would you wait? I know it's going to be hard this season. You're not going to get paid what you could get paid. But if you'll wait two more years with me, I promise you we're going to get to free agency. I'll, I'll start a bidding war with several different teams. And you will make that money up more than you, uh, you can imagine. Times over times, 
You'll get more money. And they started doing that, and he started doing that, and they got more money. He encourages highly touted draft picks to refuse to sign the slotted offer sheet. Instead, he would have them, have them, in some cases, he'd have them sign with another professional organization. You see, in the past, uh, when you got drafted in the MLB, it was called the Amateur Draft. They changed the name recently, but it was called the Amateur Draft. And he goes, don't sign that offer sheet. I'll sign you up with some Japanese team, and then we'll come back. He's not an amateur anymore. He's a professional. He got signed with a Japanese team. And legally speaking, he could, get, he could use that argument, and he'd win. And he got those players signed for more money. So it worked so well, the MLB changed it from the amateur draft to the first year's player draft. Do you know that? All because of Scott Boris. In fact, Scott Boris has caused the MLB to change their rules three different times, at least three different times, because of his shrewd negotiating tactics. Very shrewd. It all comes down to this. It pays to have the right representation. It, I mean, in this illustration, it pays to have the right representation. If you have Scott Boris as your agent, you're going to get more money than most players in baseball. It pays to have the right representation. And when we cross this over and move this to the spiritual realm, you can have no better representation than Jesus Christ. Like Scott Boris got nothing on Jesus. And he says in this passage, at the cross, he trades your weakness in for his strength. He trades your disappointments in for his success. He trades your past in for his future. He trades your failure for his victory. He trades your shame for his glory. He trades your sin for his righteousness. There's no better representation than Jesus Christ. You want Christ to represent you before the Father. In fact, it's the Word of God says, even when you're messing up and you're in sin, he's there advocating for you before the Father in heaven. He's your lawyer. He's your representation. If you don't have Christ, you have the representation of man, a man who failed and brought sin onto the world. But if you do have Christ, you have representation in God himself who died for you and can say to the Father, he has my righteousness. He has my righteousness in him. He's not coming in sin. He's coming in righteousness. So God can say, oh, I'm based on that sacrifice on the cross. I can resurrect them to new life. And it's not inconsistent, spiritually speaking, to have this person who formerly was decayed, deteriorating, and corrupted by sin, but has now been transformed like a seed into a plant to new life in Christ. It all comes down to who represents you. In the court of God, it all comes down to having the right representation. You know, some of you students are going this week, you're going to Friathon, and many of you guys, I don't know if you've ever considered a spiritual life or a spiritual walk or a spiritual dynamic in your life. What is this whole God thing? I really just want to water ski. We know. That's why we do it. And at the end of every night, you'll be water skiing all day long, and then there'll be a time for you to wrestle with where you're at with God. And what you're going to hear them, hopefully on a level that's right where you're at, is you have an option. You can stay in your humanity or you can run towards divinity. You can stay where you are in and of yourself, which the Bible describes as being in a place of decay and corruption. Or you can take on Christ, clothe yourself with the righteousness of Christ, and God will look at you in a way he's never looked at you before. Perfect, even though he knows everything you did last week, this week, and what you'll do next week. Perfect in his eyes because of the blood of Christ. That'll be your choice. And listen, the rest of us, Maybe some of you have been coming for a long time and you're deliberating in your mind. Do I really want this Jesus thing? Do I really want this God thing? 
the guy on the stage seems to like really believe the Bible. I really like listening to him because he really believes what he says. But I don't know about me. And I don't know about this whole resurrection thing. Jesus being resurrected. When will you stop the internal debate? And when will you move to belief? When will you take the next step towards belief? In fact, if you've been here for six to 12 months and you've been deliberating, that's wonderful. I just think that's awesome. That's exactly how I came to faith. But there's a day where you got to place your faith in Christ. There's a day where you got to move towards him. You say, okay, this is not just storytelling anymore. This is now I'm submitting my life to this because what I get in the end is a lot better than I could ever imagine. The representation of Christ is amazing for your God. You see, everything we have in this world, you might think you have a great job, and I have good money, you got good family, you got homes and vacation homes, whatever it might be. It all stays here. And all you have left in the end is where your soul is with God. My job as a pastor is to get you outside of this box called life. Everything looks good in this box. What happens when the box is gone? Have you considered where you are with God? In that place. Well, let me have you bow your heads and close your, close your eyes for those of you guys who are willing to stop the internal debate and now move towards faith in Christ. There's a famous verse in the Bible, you've heard it before. It's called John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. And the reason that's possible is because he takes on sin on the cross for you gives you his righteousness. Do you want to put your faith in that? Do you want to trust in that for the first time? You could do it right now in the stillness of your heart. God, I place faith in you. I place faith on the work of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you just did that right now with me, you are now considered to be in the family of God. We'd love to know about it. There's a way that you could share with us that a little later. Father, we do love you. I do thank you that you've taken all the barriers out of the way. There are no physical barriers to resurrection because you're God. You can do whatever you want. You can transform a seed into a plant. You, you created this, this world and its existence, the stars and their brilliance and their beauty. You did it all. By the, by the breath of your vocal cords, there's no question you can resurrect us, whether we've been cremated or whether we've been dug into the ground. You can resurrect There's no physical barriers with you. You are God Almighty. And there are no spiritual barriers with you either because of Christ's work on the cross. You've made it so you don't see my sin. No matter what I did this week, what I'm doing today, what I'll do next, you don't see it. You know it's there, but you don't look upon it. You look upon the blood of Jesus Christ and you see perfection instead. It's an amazing thing. Even knowing my sin, yet you see perfection. That is the representation we find in Christ. There's no physical barriers. There's no spiritual barriers. You make it possible. And one day, you'll bring what was deposited in Christ and his resurrection into fruition, and we will one day be resurrected as well. It's our hope. It's our hope. It's worth living for, and it's worth dying for. There's nothing better. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. My five-year-old's full of questions. And one of the questions, we do a devotion every morning, and one of the questions was, hey, Daddy, is everybody in the Bible dead? And I said, well, there's Enoch, and there's Elijah, and there's Jesus. He died, and then he rose again. He's alive. And she said, but Daddy, why did he die? 
And I said, you know, and just reiterating what David just said, we're all bad, and Jesus was perfect. And God decided to send his son because he loves us so much to die for us for all the bad things that we do. And the Bible says that if we will say that we believe in Jesus and repent, that we'll get to spend all of our days and all of our sleeps with him. So maybe you have questions like my five-year-old or maybe even you have faith like a child at this moment. I would encourage you to let us know so that we can walk this journey with you. Would you put it on a connection card or go to the welcome counter in the lobby? We want to be praying for you, encouraging you. We're going to move into our time of offering another way that we worship by giving back to God what he's so graciously given to us. That's all his. And there's three ways that you can give. You can give online. You can give. Do we have that slide? We're going to pretend that there's a slide up there. You can give online. You can give in the lobby and on our website, which I guess technically is online. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you so much that you died for us so that we could spend eternity with you. So Lord, I just ask that we would give back a portion of everything that you've given to us. That's all yours anyway. So Lord, we love you. We pray that you'd use it to advance your kingdom. Thank you for these amazing people in here today. We love you. And we pray these things in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, KMCC. I'm Megan Terryberry. I'm a part of our worship ministry here at church. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for hanging out with us. We would love to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card. Or if you're online, please go to camcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at KMCC. July 2nd, Escape Room, 3 to 5 p.m. Fourth and fifth graders, this one's for you. Invite all your friends to join you for the Fountain of Youth Escape Room and see if you can all escape. For more info, check out our website or contact Colin at camcc.net. August 5th through 8th, Middle School Summer Camp. Enjoy kayaking, snorkeling, swimming, volleyball, basketball, and giant group games on Catalina Island. This will be an amazing experience for you and your friends. There are limited spots available, so go to kncc.net slash Catalina to sign up today. Important dates coming up, so make sure to save the date and also check out upcoming events at kmcc.net. August 30th, KMCC Blood Drive. September 4th, Growth Group Signups. October 21st through 23rd, Men's Retreat. Stay in the loop of what's going on at KMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to kmcc.net.
God can do all things and he can speak things into existence. And just knowing that gives me hope. Remember, if it is your first, second, or third time here, please go to the welcome counter to get your gift. If you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps. Our high schoolers leave for Friathon summer camp today. Yes. <laughs> and what I would like to do is I would like to give, say a prayer over you guys. So if, if church, if you could reach your hand out over them as I pray, please. God, we just thank you so much for these young people. You are going to do amazing things in their lives this week. God, I ask that you provide protection over them as they travel and as they do their activities, Lord. I pray that they would build relationships that are strong. And um, Lord, I pray for those who have been feeling the call in their hearts for a long time, but just have not quite made that step. That Holy Spirit, you would move in their hearts. They would feel it. They would ask the questions and that they would move to that decision towards you. Lord, I pray for those who, who know Jesus, that they would have a renewed faith and strength in what they believe in and in the truth. I ask that you be with the volunteers and the leaders, Lord, as they answer questions, as they build these relationships, and as they connect with these young people. Lord, we lay them at your feet, and we give you all the praise and glory for each one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Dads, make sure that you go out and grab some beef jerky in honor of Father's Day. We will see you next week. Happy Father's Day. God bless you.